Well, turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, of course, we're continuing our study of the gospel of Matthew. We've been going, of course, verse by verse, passage by passage. Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. We're looking at this section in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 go together. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's really, it's at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's this long sloping hill. Jesus has chosen his 12 men. He's with them, and, and then he's teaching them, but there's this large crowd. Now, what he's teaching, and I want to make sure you understand this, he's teaching how believers are to live uh, a righteous lifestyle in a fallen world. So these, this is not how, like, how to be saved or anything like this. He's talking to believers. He's talking to his apostles, basically, and he's giving them instructions. How do we live as those who belong to Jesus Christ? We've been seeing that there's a contrast, a contrast between Jesus' teaching and the teaching of the religious leaders. The religious leaders always looked at the external. They looked at the law and they said, don't commit adultery, don't do this, don't, don't, don't do this, don't murder, don't do And so it was all external. But Jesus was different. Jesus said, well, yeah, look at the law, but there's an internal and external aspect that righteousness was supposed to be both attitudes and actions. And that's why he said, you've heard you not to murder, but I say, don't anger. And you've heard not to, to commit adultery, but I said, don't lust. And so he deals with the inside as well as the outside. And so he goes a little bit deeper. In this, in this first section, and we're going to, it's actually a little different section starting next week. So in this section, we've seen these issues, murder and anger and adultery and lust and divorce and vows and oaths and revenge and retaliation. And now the last one is the one we'll see today is love. And I think love is the key. Love is the key in the Christian life. Love is, well, love is the key all the way through the Bible. You talk about God's love for us and our love for God, when, when you just think about that, it, it, it ties into everything. It, it, uh, when you think of the fruit of the Spirit, you say, well, the fruit of the Spirit is, and the very first one is love. And when you say, they ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. He came later and said, I'm going to give you a new commandment, that you love others as I have loved you. So love always is, is the key. So as we, as we go through this, this morning, let me just raise three questions just for you to think about. What is love? Who do we love? Why do we love? We'll see it as we go through this passage. You know, it's easy to love those that love us. I mean, it, it is easy because they like you and you like them and you, oh, they're so special and everything. But then what about those who don't like you? What about those who actually would like to harm you? I want to read you the story. I'm going to sort of read it, but it's a true story. August 1983, Russell Stendhal was taken hostage in the jungles of Colombia by a band of guerrilla soldiers, and he was held for five months. And he writes later that for five months he decided he would love his enemies. He was a Christian. Here's what he said. He wrote in a letter later, I, I was in danger of losing my life, and they were in danger of losing their souls. He befriended the guards over a period of time. He showed them love over and over and over. One day the commander came to him and said, we can't kill you to, the, to your face because we like you too much. We'll just kill you when you're asleep. And so he said, thank you so much. And then he said, I didn't sleep for the next 10 nights. He was so afraid. He said sometimes the submachine guns were put right in his face. But the guards, he said, couldn't bring themselves to kill him. And he was released on January 3rd, 1984. And when he was released, he said goodbye because they, they let him go. And he said that some of his captors actually cried when he left. That's an example of loving your enemy. This morning, Jesus is going to deal with that because the issue of loving others, even if they don't love us, and, and we need to realize something. Love is not a feeling. 
Love is an action. Most people, our culture, our world thinks love is a feeling. You have these feelings, so you automatically love somebody. And then when you don't have those feelings, you say, well, I don't love you anymore. Love is not a feeling. Love is an action. God commands us, husbands, love your wives. He didn't say if you feel like it. He said love your wives. It's a command. We don't command feelings. And when we look in the Bible and it talks about loving your children and loving your neighbor, it's not feelings, it's actions. This morning I want to do two things as we get into this passage. One is I want to just give a quick overview of love, just for a second, and then we'll get into the passage. So here's sort of a quick overview of love. It's, it's not a feeling. It has feelings with it, but it's more of an action. God commands to love. We're to love others. Husbands love our wives. We're to love our neighbors. I want to show you something. When you think about the, the Bible, and we always think about the New Testament. Sometimes we think about the Old Testament, but most of the time we think New Testament. In the New Testament, in the Greek language, there are four words for love. See, in English, you just say, I love you, and we don't know exactly what kind of love that is. You say, I really love my, I love my brother. I love my sister. I love Jean. I love my grandchild. They're, they're all different kinds of love there. In the Bible, there's, a, there's a, a number of words in the New Testament or the Greek. The first word is the word eros. We get erotic from it. It is not found in the New Testament, but it has an idea of physical love. It even has an idea of sexual, has the idea of attraction. So that's a word. Then there's another word, phileo. That word is found a really lot of times in the New Testament. It has an idea of a, a give-and-take type love, like I love you because you love me, and we go back and forth. The word, the, the city, Philadelphia. Uh, phileo is love, Adelphos is brother, so phileo, Adelphos, uh, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. That's why it's called that, because that's the two Greek words put together. This is kind of a back and forth. The third word is the word called storge, that's how it's pronounced in Greek, and it has an idea of a connection, it has an idea of a commitment that I'll say, well, I'll do this for you, you do this for me, and they connect. And then the last word is the word that we all know, we all hear about it. It's agape. And it, uh, agapao is the verb. This is a noun, agape. And it means a special love. It means a love that loves the unlovely. It means a love that loves, not because there's return, but a love that chooses to love. This is the word used of God's love. This is also the word used that God says, love one another. And it's the love we're supposed to love each other with. And so this idea of loving someone, not because they're going to love you back, not because they're going to do something for you, but choosing to love. And that's why when people get married and they stand up, and I've done almost 300 weddings, and we do these vows, uh, they're really not saying, I promise I'll have these feelings all the rest of my life. Because you can't, you can't command feelings. But you can say, I promise I will love you, commit to you, and do for you as long as I live. That's what love, and that's what agape love is, and that's how God loves us. God tells us not only to love God, but to love others. In Galatians 5.13, he says, by love, agape love, serve one another. We are to love others. And so I want you to think about two things here. One, God's love for us and our love for God and others. How about God's love for us? You realize that in 1 John, it says here in his love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the payment for our sins. God's love is beyond our comprehension. You cannot grasp it. You, we can believe it. In fact, there's a part, one of the prayers Paul prays, and so he says that you might know the length and the death of that, and then he says, and the love of God which surpasses all comprehension. You can't understand how much God loves us. We can't understand it. Listen, we think this way. Okay, I'm doing real good. So God loves me, and he loves me a lot. 
And then I'm doing real bad. I got sin in my life. I'm rejecting. I'm doing bad stuff. And we think, well, God doesn't love me as much. No, he loves us just as much. His love never changes. You see somebody who's an unbeliever, and they say, I don't believe in God at all. He loves them to the maximum. If that person trusted in Jesus Christ, God loves them to the maximum. His love never changes. It's not like us that if you treat me wrong, I might not like you near as much. But we don't treat God right, and his love never changes. It's beyond our comprehension. It is an unchanging love. God's love, uh, God who in his love provided our eternal salvation, our eternal life. God so loved the world, John three sixteen, that he gave his son to whoever believes has eternal life. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love toward us while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, and this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us. So God's love is the key for our eternal life salvation, but God's love is also what provides in our Christian life, what we call our sanctification. He provides for us, he protects us, he empowers us, he does all that. It is also God's love that will provide in our glorification because one of these days he's going to come back because he loves us so much he's going to come get us in the clouds and take us to be with him. So God's love is amazing. So remember this, it never changes. It is to the maximum. It's not like 80% love one day and 70 the other, and if you do real bad, it gets down to 50. It's 100% loving you every moment for all time. Never changes. It's not based on how we live, what we do. God's love never changes. The second thing is that we, we who know Christ, we're to love God and to love others. We are. When they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. When you think of the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments all deal with loving God. The second six commandments all deal with loving other people. That's what it's all about. When you get into the New Testament and we see something which is called the law of Christ or the law of love. And that's how we operate. We live by loving God and loving others. Let me show you something in Galatians. The law of Christ, the law of love. In Galatians 5, 13, it says, you were called to freedom, but don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, to sin. But through love, do what? Serve one another. For the whole law, the law of love, the law of liberty, the law of Christ, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole aspect goes back to love. And a lot of times we don't even grasp it, but love is the action. Love is how we treat one another. So with that background, we, we're to love God, we're to love others. What about, what, about, what about the people who we know that some people love us and we go, oh, I love you. Well, I love you. It's so fun being with you. Yeah, it is fun being with you. It's so great. But what about the person who says, I don't like you. I don't even like what you believe. In fact, what you stand for as a Christian I despise. And we know there are people out there that despise what you believe, what we believe. And then there are people who don't, who don't like you just because they don't like you. They don't even like you. It, you've done nothing, but they say, I just don't, I don't like the way you look. I don't like you. How do we deal with people who don't love us or like us? Well, let's see what Jesus says. Look at chapter 5. Look at verse 43. And once again, remember, he's doing the contrast. Religious leaders, you have heard it said, but I say to you. So in verse 43, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So he's saying, here's what you've heard. You've heard, and this was from the religious leaders. It's found in Leviticus 19, verse 18, which says, literally, love your neighbor. It would be love your countrymen. Now, in a Jewish mindset, especially from the religious leaders, they would say, love fellow Jews. 
That doesn't mean you have to like Gentiles. That doesn't mean you have to like the Romans. In fact, don't like them. In fact, what Jesus said, you have heard that it says, love your neighbor but hate your enemy. Listen, there was never a commandment to hate somebody. There was never a commandment to hate your enemy. In fact, the passage that they used, Leviticus 19, if they had gone back one verse, it actually says, be careful and love your enemy. So they actually misinterpreted, they actually took it out and they would say, we love fellow Jews, but we don't like Gentiles and we sure hate the Romans. And that's what at the time of Jesus. And, and by the way, uh, it goes even further back. Y'all know what the Dead, Scrolls, Dead Sea Scrolls were. They were some writings that were found uh, near Qumran, near the, near the Dead Sea. And they, they were manuscripts of the entire Bible, but they were manuscripts also of this group. We thought, we're not sure what they were, what they were called Essenes or something, but they were a group of people that lived there. In their writings, it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. It actually said that in the writings. I think I have a slide that just it says in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the teaching of hating the enemy. So the Bible never said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. In fact, we're going to find out that it said just the opposite of that. Uh, it's easy to hate somebody dislike somebody, Let's, you know, because when you start saying hate, it gets so strong. But the truth is, sometimes we hate people. Isn't that right? Be honest. You hate somebody. You don't, uh, they pull in front of you. You go, well, who do they think they are pulling in front of me? Right? And, and all of a sudden, you don't even like this person. You don't even know them. Look what he says. Verse 43, you've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Look what he said. Love your enemies. Pray for those who are against you. That's not that easy. That's not that, it's not new. When Jesus said, you shall love your enemy, did the Jewish people already know that? Yes. Look at this. This is from Exodus. Exodus 23. If you meet your enemy's ox <laughs> or his donkey wandering away, you look up and you see the ox, and that's, that's the guy that hates you, He's your enemy, and his ox has gotten out and is going away, or his donkey's gotten out and wandering away, and you go, <laughs> I hope he loses it. No, that's not what you do. You shall surely return it to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helplessly under its load, you shall refrain from leaving it to him. You shall release it with him. Go over there and say, hey, let me, let me help you get this stuff off. This is the guy that hates you, but you're helping him. And you should. And you should. Notice what he said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. That's pretty hard to do. You know, that's what that guy did for five months. He prayed for those people that hated him and were going to kill him. And it got to the point where they said, we, we like you too much to shoot you while you're looking at us, so we'll just shoot you when you're asleep. And then they couldn't even do that. There's an old saying that says, the best way to lose an enemy is to pray and make them a friend. I want to read something to you. You don't have to turn there. But in Romans... Chapter 12, here's what Paul said about enemies and those kind of things. Romans 12, verse 17, he said, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Somebody does you wrong, don't get them back. Don't get them back. Respect what is right in the sight of men. If, in fact, as much as possible, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Never take your own revenge. In other words, don't get them back. Leave room for the wrath of God, for God says vengeance is mine, I'll repay. God will deal with people who do you wrong. 
If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. That was a way in the Old Testament that meant that you'll bring shame to them. They'll be embarrassed that they hated you and you did good to them. And then he ends it by saying, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What do we do? He says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I don't think that's very easy. You think that's very easy? In fact, I think it's supernatural, and I think in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do that. We can be people who are men and women who love even those that hate us. If you, in the flesh, you're not going to do that. In the Spirit, you can. And by the way, the real enemy is not the people. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Human beings are not really the enemy. We may think they are. The enemy is the fallen world system and the devil, and he uses people. So pray for the atheists. Pray for the Muslim. Pray for those who attack us. Pray for those who hate our lifestyle, who, who hate what we stand for, who hate that we believe all life is valuable. There are people out there who don't believe all life is valuable, and they hate you for believing that. What do we do about it? He says, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that, verse 45, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He says, so that you may be sons of the Father. He doesn't mean that if you do that way, you'll be a child of God. You already are a child of God. He's saying to be son of the Father means you look like your Father. You connect with your Father. What does he do? He is the one that causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. God doesn't just let it rain on the believing farmer's field. He lets it rain on the unbelievers' field as well. God loves all people, even those who reject Him. We'll be like God when we do this. We'll be like our Father in heaven because He loves all people, even the unbelievers, even the ones that reject Him. Do you remember the one? We'll get to it eventually. You remember what they did to him after they found him guilty and they took him to the Romans and they found him, Romans ultimately found him not guilty, but they put him to death anyway. The Roman soldiers took him in a room and spit in his face, hit him in the, spit in his face, hit him in the face, put a crown of thorns on his head, took a, a baton, hit him on the head so he would drive that in there and made fun of him. And what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He didn't hate them. He loved them. He loves us with an unconditional, unchanging love. And so he says, be like your Father in heaven. We want to be like our Heavenly Father. I didn't say this is easy at all. This is really hard. Some other things Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we're going to look at this and go, wow, that uh, Christian life is not for wimps. It's not. You've got to stand strong. You've got to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to be a supernatural believer who's going to stand for what is right in the midst of a fallen world, and you're going to do the right thing, not whatever you just feel like doing. And that takes strength. That's God through us. This is what sets us apart. Anyone can love those that love them. But what about those that don't love us? Look what he goes on to say, verse 46 and 47. He says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do that? Tax collectors love each other. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? He said, look, if you just just love those who love you, tax collectors do that, and everybody knows they were bad. And, and and of course, for the Jewish person, Gentile was so different, but Gentiles spoke to each other. So are you going to be just like them, or are you going to be special? Are you going to be different? I have to read this to you. This is in Luke chapter 6. I just didn't put it up on the board. 
But this is verse 27. Listen to what Jesus says. Same kind of passage. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other cheek. Whoever takes your coat, give him your shirt. Give to anyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, don't demand it back. Treat others in the same way you want them to treat you. Golden rule. If you love those that love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that? Even the sinners do that. If you lend to those who expect that you're going to get it back, what good is that? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. He said, just be like, be like your Heavenly Father. You cannot do that in your power. You can do that in God's power through you. If we don't love those who dislike us, we're no different than anybody else. We have to be different. Who are we supposed to love? Well, we're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to love those who are in opposition to us. We're supposed to love those that are different. It's sometimes hard to love somebody that's different. You go, oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't relate to them. Okay, still love them. They will know us by our love for one another. And Jesus said, listen, I've given you a lot of commands, but I'm giving you a new command. The new command is this, that you love others as I have loved you. Boy, it never lets up. It never lets up. So what have we seen in this little section so far? What have we seen... They said, don't murder. He said, don't have anger. They said, don't commit adultery. He said, also, don't lust. They said, no divorce without a certificate. He said, don't divorce, but deal with it. He said, don't, you can give an oath to God, but, you know, he said, no, let your yes be yes and no be no. And they said, well, eye for an eye. And he said, yeah, but turn the cheek. And he says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He said, no, love them all. Love them both, the friend and the enemy. Because righteousness is internal, not just external. And then he ends it with a verse that bothers people. Look what he says. Therefore, after I've told you all these things, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We go, perfect? Perfect. Obviously, they don't know us. Be perfect. Well, no, it doesn't. The word perfect there doesn't mean that you don't make a mistake. The word perfect there means mature. It means complete. In fact, I'll put it up here. That word has an idea of maturity, like you've got to a point, or completeness, like you've gone to a certain area. He says, just as your father... Is, and the Heavenly Father is perfect in one sense, but He's also mature and complete. He says, what I want you to do is be like your Heavenly Father. Be mature. Be complete. And only in Christ is it possible that internal righteousness comes from God. And that should help us have that external righteousness. We live out our Christian life in God's power. So we raise those questions at the very beginning. What is love? Love is an action. Who do we love? All people. Why do we love? It shows we belong to Jesus Christ. It makes us different. So we've seen this contrast in chapter 5, a lot of different things. You have heard it said, but I say to you, and we saw anger is the same as murder, and lust is the same as adultery, and marriage is supposed to be permanent. Keep our word, yes, yes, no, no. Don't demand our rights. Love all people. Love is the key. That's what we've seen. And so our goal is to be mature, to be complete, to be like the Father. And so what we've seen over all these weeks that's some hard things, but it ends with this key. you got to love. Because let me tell you, when you're loving God and loving others, 
you won't do these other things. It just won't be there because you love other people. When we get to chapter 6, I want you to re- read it if you can this week. We're going to get to chapter 6 because he's going to talk about something. When you do what is good, do you do what is good to be seen by people or do you do what is good to be seen by God? And he's going to talk about that. So let me give you some applications. First of all, let's live by God's word, not traditions or religion. It's true. There's all kind of traditions out there and people base their, their lives on things that they've heard and rituals. And religious leaders would say, well, this is what's right. Jesus said, you've heard that. But let me tell you, it goes beyond that. So let's live by the word of God. The second thing is let's love all people. I mean, that is not easy. Love is an action. And so it's our actions, our decision. We need to love those even who are against us. They will know that we belong to Jesus Christ by our love for one another. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying that all of us are just all flowerly and everybody. Let me just tell you, you're going to be tested. And you're going to have to, we're going to have to live in the power of the Holy Spirit to love people who are against us and who don't like us and who attack us. We've got to live differently. And then last but not least, let's remember that our goal is to be like our Heavenly Father, to be mature, to be complete. God loves all people. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love all people. That's very, very hard. May we live by the Bible, loving all people, seeking to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ.